Go ahead and be opening your Bible, if you have it with you, please, to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs. And we'll come to that in just a, a few moments. How many of you yesterday were able to catch part or some of you maybe all of the royal wedding on television? Any of you watch any of that? See some highlights of it? Any of you get up early to watch it? Yeah, I thought some of you may. Um, during the uh, early part of the ceremony, the minister was talking about the biblical reasons for marriage. And one of those, of course, is procreation, having children, raising a family. And what really uh, amused and, and uh, touched me a little bit uh, when he was talking about that was Harry looked at Megan when he talked about having children and he, and he, and he grinned because, uh, you know, they've talked both in interviews about having children and, and it'll be pretty soon probably because he's 33 and she's uh, 36 and so that's part of their plans from what I understand. And all of us who have raised children know that there are many words you can associate with having children and raising kids, right? I mean, love, you associate love with raising children, raising a family, um, a blessing, a challenge, an adventure, sort of like the uh, little boy Zachary. He's four years old, and he came running out of the bathroom one day, and he was screaming. He was all upset because he had accidentally dropped his toothbrush in the commode. And uh, his mom went into the bathroom, retrieved it, and threw it in the trash. And, and she, she was comforting him. She was hugging him and loving on him to make him, make him feel better. And after he had calmed down and climbed out of her lap, he, he ran into her bedroom and came back out holding her toothbrush and said, Here, Mommy, you need to throw this one away too because it fell on the toilet the other day. <laughs> I mean, you just, ne- you just never know, do you? And then there are those times, it's like the husband who came from home from work one afternoon and uh, his wife was on the floor in the den making some really strange noises, just laying, you know, just lying on the floor and all these strange noises. He didn't, he didn't know what was going on, but as he, as he listened to her, he, he remembered when their teenage son, when they were expecting him, he was their first, and, and they went to Lamaze classes and she was learning how to breathe, you know. Those deep breaths, he and oh, and all that, and 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 he said, "Oh, that's what she's doing." And he, and he was he was puzzled, and so he walked over toward her, and she just looked at him, and she said, "It helped me get through childbirth. Maybe it'll help me get through his teenage years." <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, there, there, there's so much about raising kids that we enjoy, but there's also uh, challenges, and it really is <clears throat> an adventure. And I, I believe that most parents. Now we know there are some who. This would not be true, but I think the overwhelming majority of parents want to do a really good job when it comes to raising their kids. you believe that? I, I believe that. I don't believe most parents want to. doesn't mean they, they all do a great job, but I believe most of them deep in their hearts want to do a good job of preparing our kids for life, for adulthood, for all that's going to happen. And uh, the Bible actually says a lot about this. And so I want us to look to start with at Proverbs chapter 6. We'll look at several passages and this morning, and this is probably a passage you've never thought of in terms of, of raising kids. But I want us to look at it for a moment. Proverbs chapter 6, beginning with verse 6, reading through verse 11. Look at what God's Word says. He says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways, and be wise. Learn, learn from her. Which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. In other words, and and 
I mean, around here we have all the fire ants and anthills, and, and, and you notice how busy and fast, and they're carrying things, and they're, they're preparing for the future. They're preparing for down the road. And then in verse 9, the Scripture says, How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When, when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Now, normally when we read this passage, we say, okay, Scripture here is teaching us not to be lazy. Not to stay in bed all the time, but get up and get at it, right? Have discipline, have a good work ethic, prepare for the future. All of that is true. Prepare for the future. I mean, don't be lazy. All of that is true. What you do today, as David said a moment ago, what you do today will influence your life a year from now and beyond. Quite often, that is very, very true. It's a principle of life. And uh, most of us in this room positively or negatively understand the, the importance of preparing for the future when it comes to retirement. Some prepared well, others did not. And uh, the older we get, the more we realize how important today is when it comes to tomorrow. So many issues in life where that is, that is true. These students, these graduates going to school, all of that. So important for the future. But the passage continues, verse 11. Your poverty will come in like a, a vagabond and, and your need like an armed man. In other words, if, if you don't prepare for the future, if you're lazy, if you don't make effort, if, if you just kind of float through life, if you're not careful, uh, it catches up with you. Here he's talking about poverty. And the last phrase, like an armed man, like somebody coming to your house to steal from you, a burglar, that poverty all of a sudden just does you damage, the failure to prepare. Now, so, so we, we, we know this passage, we think about it in terms of not being lazy, preparing for the future, but how many of you have ever thought about this biblical principle of today affecting tomorrow, preparing today for what is to come? How many of you have ever taken this biblical truth, this biblical principle, and said, I need to apply that to my life as a parent or a grandparent? That what I'm doing today as a parent, as a grandparent, is influencing my children and my grandchildren in their tomorrow. The preparation I make today as a parent as I'm raising my children when they're really young, during those elementary years, the preteen years, the teen years, what I'm doing to invest in them, to prepare them, am I being lazy or am I working at it? Am I just floating through every day or am I being intentional because it's going to shape the future? It's going to have an impact not only on me but on them. And preparing our kids, listen, preparing our kids for their future. But not only preparing our kids for their future academically and socially, but spiritually. That may be the most important preparation you make in your children's lives, preparing them for life, then preparing them for death and for eternity. And the Bible teaches that you and I have a responsibility to do these things, to prepare them for the future, to prepare them uh, for what's to come. And that's the reason in this teaching series, Igniting Our Child's Love for Jesus, we're saying that God has given us the responsibility of doing that, of doing all we can to invest in our kids so they grow up, not only to be prepared to live, but to be prepared to live loving Jesus Christ. And we've already said 
According to research and biblical principles, we do that by loving God with all our heart. We do that by loving our spouse as an influence. Today, I want to talk about the importance of and some practical things when it comes to loving your kids, loving your children, so you can prepare them for the future, for the harvest, so they won't experience poverty. I want to begin by looking at a pass, another passage in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at several. They'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible, but if you have a Bible, mark these in your Bible, look at them. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 lays out the responsibility of every parent. He, he begins the context speaking to the people of Israel. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, etc. Now, in the Gospels, when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? What did he say? That one. Above everything else in the Mosaic Law, above everything else in the Old Testament, if you want to know what is most important, it's that love God. That's the reason the very first sermon in this series, how to ignite love for Jesus in your child, love God, love God. You can't teach them to do what you don't do. Love God. That's the foundation for everything. That's where it all starts. Immediately after saying that, now notice the context, immediately afterward, the very next verse, verse 6, these words, which I am commanding you today, the, the words of God, Scripture, shall be where? On your heart. It's not enough to have the truth of God in your head. It needs to be in your heart and evident in your life. When it's in your heart, it's what you care about. It's what you're passionate about. It's what you love. It's what's important to you. Love God. And when you love God, you listen to Him, and His Word fills your heart, your life, your soul. It needs to be in your heart. And again, you can't give your kids what you don't have. So love God, have his word in your heart. And then he says in the very next verse, verse 7, you shall teach them these words, the truth of God, diligently to your sons, to your children. And you shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, through the everyday experiences of life, night and day, day in and day out, in the home, just through the routines of family life. Talk about God. Talk about love for God. For God. Talk about the Word of God, the things of God. He says in verse 8, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. If I walk into your house and look around, would I see anything that says to me, You love Jesus? Would I see any books, any literature? Would I see any pictures, any decorations? Would I see, if I walk through your house looking intentionally for, would I see anything in your home that says this family loves Jesus Christ? If I listen 24 hours a day for one week's time, to your conversations with your children, would I hear would I hear words that that indicate you and your family love Jesus Christ? Hear anything that says you and your family love the Word of God and have it on your heart? God's there every moment of every day, listening and seeing. 
What does he hear? What does he see? God says, Mom and Dad, and by extension, grandparents, you have a responsibility to invest in your children this way. You can't delegate. You cannot delegate that to the church. You cannot delegate that to a Christian school. Even though the church and schools can help, you have the first and primary responsibility. And you as parents, more than any other entity, are responsible and accountable to God for doing what God's Word says. And so we have to be intentional and we have to be consistent. It has to be part of our life. Now let me give you an example from the New Testament. The book of uh, 2 Timothy. You'll remember Timothy was a young preacher working with the Apostle Paul, being mentored and by Paul, serving with him. And in the first chapter of 2 Timothy, we learn some things about this young man named Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says to Timothy, he's, this is a letter he's written to him, he says, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt where? Where church? And your grandmother, Lois, and then your mother, Eunice. And I'm sure that is in you as well. So there's a family heritage here, right? Then start with Timothy. His grandmother, his mother. Now, by the way, as, as best we can tell, Timothy's father wasn't a believer. So while it's easier and more effective when mom and dad both love Jesus and love each other, this is proof that, hey, one parent can have an impact. So here's a grandmother and mother. They love the Lord, have a sincere faith, and so does young Timothy. Now, a couple of pages forward, one page forward, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verses 14 and following. Notice what it says. Paul's still writing this letter to Timothy. And he says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from when? From what? What does the Bible say? You have known the sacred writings. What's the sacred writings? It's the scriptures, the Old Testament for him, the sacred writings, which are able to give you wisdom. It leads to salvation through faith. So here's, here's this grandmother and mother. They, they have a sincere faith in Jesus. And here's Timothy. Now he's a young man, young preacher. He has sincere faith. And Paul says, hey, Timothy, all that stuff you learn, stick with it. Knowing. You, you learned it from childhood, from your mom and your, your grandmother. Do you get the picture? Do you get the picture? The teaching and the example and the encouragement and the model, do you get the picture? That, that isn't, is that not a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 6? Now, <clears throat> I want to encourage you as parents and grandparents to help your children and grandchildren children develop from, from the time they're very young some certain very, very specific spiritual disciplines, okay? LifeWay, our publishing house and so on, um, conducted a major research project looking at young adults who grew up in church that were still active in church and that had strong Christian commitment, strong Christian faith. 
And they were trying to identify the things that influenced those young adults who still loved Jesus while they were growing up. And they identified five influences that, that seemed to override the others, five practices, five spiritual disciplines, five practices, if you will, <clears throat> that, um, that these children... That, that they tended to have as they were growing up from the time they were young through the teen years. That, and, and these are the kids who remain faithful as, as, as young adults. Now, again, remember the caveat, there are no guarantees because of free will, correct? But what do we do? We increase the likelihood. We give them a head chance. We make it more likely or probable. And these are five disciplines these young adults had as kids. Now, the parents had to have helped them. These are things the child, they did as children. These are things you want to teach your children to do. Now, let me say it before I share with you the five things. It's hard for you to teach them how to do these five things if you do not do these five things. Have you ever noticed in life it's hard to teach anybody how to do something you don't know how to do? Hmm? Well, the same thing is true in spiritual disciplines. So here's these five spiritual disciplines according to the research. Number one, the child, while they were growing up, regularly read the Bible. Pretty basic, right? But there's a huge difference in the spiritual development of somebody who reads the Word of God on a consistent basis and somebody who doesn't. So mom and dad, if you want your children to read the Bible, let them see you reading the Bible. You read God's Word with them. Teach them how conversations with them about it that's the first one number two when these young adults were growing up as children they actually prayed they prayed do you allow your children to pray when you say grace do you teach them how do you have times when you pray with your kids and 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 on their level, whatever their age is, teaching them how to do it. That was the second one. Number three, while growing up as children, these adults who were still faithful to Jesus, while they were, while they were growing up, regularly served in the church. There were ways and opportunities for them to be engaged in doing things of service, not just being entertained, but actually serving. <clears throat> and I, I strongly urge parents and grandparents to let your kids serve alongside you. Listen, I plead with you, when you when you ring the bell this December for the Salvation Army out here at Walmart at the mall like we do every year, take one of your grandchildren or ch children with you and invest in them. Never underestimate the, the, the value of that. Uh, in this series I've shared with you before, the one thing I did with Stephen was I would take him with me sometimes on Saturday morning to make visits to prospects. Serving. Number four. You ready? They listen not exclusively, but primarily to Christian music. Because it is true that what you put in comes out. I like a lot of different kinds of music. I listen to a lot of different kinds of music. But I listen to 
Jesus music, Christian music. Sunday mornings, even now, we did it while our kids were growing up. We play Christian worship music in the house while we're getting ready. Setting the tone and the table for what we're going to do that morning when we get to church. Monique said, I still do that even though we're empty nesters. Number five, you ready? While growing up, these children participated in church activities like camps and mission trips and service projects and so on. Parents, listen. Don't punish or discipline your kids by keeping them out of church activities while you let them do school activities. How messed up is that thinking? Start while they're young. Do you know what parents are? As parents, we're like uh, air traffic controllers. You know, tell the planes as they're approaching an airport what height, which runway, when to taxi, when to take off. Problem is, small airports don't have air traffic controllers. Many of them don't have any towers. And it's dependent on the pilots not only to, to be visual and to look, but also over a, a common channel to, to announce their intentions, to to communicate so that people nearby can hear. Last month in Marion, Indiana, that uh, larger Cessna was landing and a smaller one carrying two men who were volunteer firefighters was taking off. And the one taking off made a mistake and clipped the tail of the one that was landing and the two in the small plane died. No air traffic controller, no tower. You don't want your kids to go through life with no air traffic controller. You as a mom and a dad and to a lesser extent but still valuable as a grandparent, you can play the role of air traffic controller. And as you're teaching and instructing and guiding and growing and helping these kids develop, that's what you're doing. You're the air traffic controller saying, go now, don't go now. This runway, stay off that runway. And you have to be intentional about that job. That job requires consistency day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out. The habits... We teach our kids the biblical principles and truths we teach them can help them not to crash in life. I mentioned each Sunday this this book, Why They Stay, which was a a major research project looking at uh, millennials who were still active in church, that had grown up in church, and why did they stay in church? What was different about them? And they identified 15 factors, some more important than others, but all 15 important. 
two of the key factors identified in this research project that's described in this book, uh, Why They Stay, listen, one of them is as your kids grow up and when they're adults, they have to like you. Have a good relationship with you. Big, big factor. Um, in fact, kids who grew up became young adults that did not have a good relationship with their mom, 65% more likely to abandon the church. Kids who become young adults and don't have a good relationship with their dad, 50% more likely to leave the church. And if your relationship with your child is strained, do everything you can to bring about reconciliation. And that may mean your heart mean that means that, that your heart breaks. It may, it may mean you have to forgive some things. It may mean you, you've got to love, even if it's not reciprocated. You as the parent cannot love them just when they love you. You can't love them just when they respond positively. You have to love them the way God loves you no matter what. And sometimes it's easier than other times, isn't it? Let's just be honest. We're all human. But you need to, they, 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 you need a good relationship with them. They need to have some. They need to respect who you are, and that's why going back, the authenticity and the genuineness and the willingness to learn and the the willingness to confess. Hey, you know what? Daddy blew it. One of the most powerful things you can say to your kids is, "I was wrong when you were actually wrong." Don't be proud and arrogant and never acknowledge your mistake. Your kids know you're not perfect. They want to see authenticity in you. <clears throat> second factor, not only a good relationship, but the second factor, another one, was uh, parents when it came to discipline. Those who stayed in church, their parents tended to practice discipline in more of a balanced approach than those who left the church. including both instruction and correction with love and compassion. Have to be balanced. A negligent parent, if you will, a negligent parent is one that doesn't show their kid a lot of love, doesn't show a lot of compassion, they don't express it, and uh, they don't show, they don't do much correction, they don't do much teaching, they don't give much instruction, they don't set many boundaries. They're just negligent. They don't, they don't do anything. They don't show a lot of love and they, and, and they don't show a lot of guidance and instruction either. That's a negligent parent. And those kids tend to really struggle. And there's exceptions, but they tend to struggle. There's the indulgent parent. Has a lot of heart and a lot of emotion. Shows a lot of love and a lot of compassion, but very little instruction, very little teaching, very little con correction. Struggles to set boundaries or to be consistent with it, and so you just indulge them and you give in, and they get their way. A lot of heart, not much else. And then there's the rep repressive parent, <laughs> really strong on. On, on, on instruction and boundaries and rules and consequences, but, but kind of weak when it comes to expressing compassion and love and tenderness. 
And a lot of times those kids grow up and become rebellious. And then you have what many authors call the respected parent who finds the ability, and, and not listen, not there's not a person in this room who's done this perfectly. right? We've all teetered back and forth uh, at times. But tends to find the ability to balance boundaries and teaching and instruction and consequences with love and compassion and tenderness. Learning to balance those. Let me ask you, is that not what God does? What do you think would happen to me? What would happen to you if God disciplined us every time we actually deserved it? And yet we know there's boundaries and there's discipline, right? Show you some verses on the screen real quickly that all of you know. Let's look at Proverbs 13, 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. For those of you who struggle to set boundaries and to be the adult in the relationship, God says you need to set boundaries and be the adult in the relationship. Proverbs 29, 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame. In other words, again, we as parents have the responsibility to provide guidance and instruction and discipline. Makes a difference in the advantages we're giving our children and the opportunity for them to grow up and be mature. Proverbs 29, verse 17. Correct your son and he will give you comfort and he will also delight your soul. So we're familiar with those verses. Let me show you some in the New Testament. The balance. The balance. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not what? Provoke your children to what? Now, that doesn't mean your kids, are, if you do what's right, your kids will never get, no, kids are kids. They're going to get mad at you sometimes. That's going to happen. But when you continually provoke them to a, a, a continual attitude of, of anger, so instead bring them in the discipline and instruction, the, the nurture of the Lord. It's this loving balance because if you're constantly creating in children resentment because you know all the rules and all the don'ts and all the discipline but you don't know how to express compassion and tenderness now can God do great work in our kids lives even though we're not perfect sure thank God praise Jesus right <laughs> but we need to be aware of these things Another verse, Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. I mean, be sensitive when your child is just giving up because all they feel is the heavy hand. I mean, you, you, you can literally suck the hope right out of a kid. Now, all the responsibility is not on parents. Children have a responsibility for their spiritual development because one of the other findings in this book is that ultimately every child, especially during the teenage years, has to make a commitment himself or herself to love Jesus. And that's huge. But all of this matters. 
And, and if you, if you, listen, if you don't want to do it just for biblical reasons and spiritual reasons and loving Jesus reasons, let me give you a, another reason, a practical reason. People who, who love the Lord and are active in church live longer on average. Okay, so even if you don't want anything spiritual, you just, you just want something practical, people who love the Lord and are active in church on average live longer. The average person in America lives to be 75. But if you attend church, average is 80. Five more years. If you attend church weekly, the average is 82. And if you attend more than once a week, the average is 83. So, hey, don't miss church. You get an extra week. Extra year. <laughs> See, here's the thing, guys. Listen to me. Biblical truth, spiritual truth, God's truth always has practical application and impact. <laughs> you think God just made all this stuff because he thought that sounded good? God knows what he's talking about. So listen to him and do more than listen, obey him. So parents, grandparents, what are you going to do because of what God's word says today? What are you going to change? You say, well, I'm 70 years old. Great. You, you can change at 70. That, that old saying is wrong because the truth is you can teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad you can still learn and grow whatever your age? Create some new memories. Create some new traditions. Let God use you. Let's stand. Steve and others are going to come lead us singing this hymn of invitation. You're invited to pray for your family. Pray for your children and grandchildren to pray for yourself and your role in your family to kneel here at this altar and, and talk to the Lord about it. Pastors and counselors will be here. If you'd like to join this church, we invite you. We'd love for you to be a part of this family of faith. If you need to request baptism, you've already accepted Jesus but never been baptized, come and let us know that. We'll plan one of our future services to baptize you. And if you've never given your heart to Christ, you come right now. Let's sing together and you make your decision for the Lord. Come and pray.